Listen to the word of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm, Stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness as shoes for your feet put on whatever makes you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit at all times with every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Well, who picks a fight with a God? When you think about it, maybe in Greek mythology, you think of Prometheus, who wasn't necessarily looking for a fight, <laughs> but got more than he bargained for, right? And his punishment for giving humans fire. King Cepheus was who's probably the most famous person who, who actually, depending on how you count it, cheated or beat the gods two or three times, but he finally lost uh, to Ares in the end, the god of war. He literally cheated death a couple of times. And of course, he's such a famous mythical figure. You know, there's an asteroid named after him, a dialogue of Plato, uh, a, a uh, forgotten album of, by the band of Chicago, an essay by Camus. And there's a species of dung beetle that's called him as well, okay? And if, it doesn't, if you don't immediately recognize the name, you certainly would recognize the image of the man who has to spend eternity rolling a big stone up a hill. And just when he gets to the top, the stone comes rolling down, right? Because in mythology, the gods always win, right? But our story is a little different, right? Jacob, the crooked one, which we'll talk a little bit more in a minute. That's what his name means. It, it literally can mean heel or bent one. So it has one of those double, double meanings gets a name change. He becomes Israel, which means literally one who wrestles or one who contends with God. Now, God wants you. What does God really want in the world? What's God's plan? There really is only one <laughs> central element to what God wants in the cosmos. God wants each of you. God wants to give God's love to each of you, and God wants you to receive it and live in and into that love. And God is even willing to fight you to get there. 
we're in the middle of our stewardship campaign. And really, stewardship, yeah, we have to pay the bills, but stewardship's about God trying to get your attention, right? Stewardship's about you to not be consumed with the things of this world, not to be the servant of your money or your stuff, but to remember ultimately everything comes from God and in the act of giving something back to God, we, we remember who God is, but more importantly, we remember we're more than our stuff. Stewardship's actually an opportunity for us to elevate our sense of identity in the cosmos. Now, two weeks ago, I told you we looked at the, what I think is the worst or hardest story in the Bible, Abraham sacrificing Isaac. Well, I think this week is the weirdest story in the Bible. And there are a lot of weird stories. Matter of fact, I think it's so absurd it has to be true on some level. We don't have time to go through in detail Jacob's life, but I'm going to give you an overview of Jacob because it sets up this story. You have to have a sense of Jacob if you don't remember this. Um, Jacob was the youngest of two twins. That's a redundancy, I know. Uh, Esau and Jacob were the only children of Isaac and Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac was born, or Isaac was born, or Esau was born first. And it literally says in the Bible that Jacob was clinging to his heel. <laughs> he wanted to be first, but he got beat. We're told that Esau was a man of the outdoors. He was a hunter. He was a, he was a rustic man's man. Jacob hung around the tent. He was a tent body. Esau was his father's favorite. Jacob was his mother's. And we get a little insight to Esau, too. Esau was hungry one day, and Jacob was cooking a bowl of porridge, and Esau traded his birthright because he was hungry. So he was a man of appetites. He was a man of impulse, right? And Jacob was a man full of guile. And perhaps one of the worst stories, I mean, or, you know, this, I, the Isaac sacrifice to Abraham is a really horrible story, but an equally horrible story is Rebecca and Jacob conspire together and they trick Isaac, who's blind and elderly, to give the blessing that belonged to Esau as the older brother to Jacob, the younger brother. And Esau said, as soon as our father dies, you're a dead man. He says to Jacob, that's my translation, all right? And one of the most pathetic statements in all the Bible is Rebecca tells Jacob, you need to flee because your brother's going to kill you. And she says this, let me not lose both of you in one day. Talk about family tragedy. So he leaves home. He works for his father-in-law for 20 years. His father-in-law cheats him. He marries, uh, under, uh, he marries both daughters of this man. So, so much for biblical family values, right? <laughs> when Jacob is fleeing, this is an important story. The first time Jacob encounters God is he has a dream. The famous Jacob's Ladder, right? We know that story. We know the song, right? And God renews the covenant that God made with Abraham and Isaac. He renews it with Jacob. 
But here's Jacob's response to God's gracious promise. Jacob says this, if God remains with me, if he protects me on the journey that I'm making, if he gives me bread to eat, he gives me clothing to wear, and if I return safe to my father's house, the Lord shall be my God. And if this all works out, I'll give you a tenth of what I have. <laughs> okay. What kind of piety does that sound like? It's not the faith of Abraham, right? It's not even the faith of Isaac. Matter of fact, you'd be hard-pressed to call that faith. That's paganism. He's bartering with God. If you do X, Y, and Z, God, then you get your 10%. And I'll call you God. <laughs> Jacob is living proof that faith is not inherited. You know, we sometimes, and again, I, 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 one of our goals is to, this to be a welcoming place for more younger people, right? And, and that certainly has happened in other churches, my other churches. But every person has to make their own faith decision, right? You don't inherit faith. Now, you can have great examples of faith before you, but faith has to be yours. And regardless of all the things that are not good happening in our society because of the lack of faith, it's not, it's not something you can pass on, right? Legacy has a very limited shelf life. When it comes to democracy, <laughs> but even when, more importantly when it comes to faith. And by the way, what did Jacob ever do to earn God's faith? Why in the world is Jacob the chosen one? <laughs> What's beautiful about this passage is it reminds us God's plan is not limited by the character of his people. or their stupidity, for that matter, or their human frailty. I once had a friend said, every person who follows God has hurt God's reputation. You know, I know that people have been burned by the church. Every church has its stories. Every church has its Story of things going badly, people being disillusioned, people behaving badly. This, story, this church is no different than everyone else. <laughs> but that doesn't seem to bother God. It bothers us, right? And we always, it, it, it's always an opportunity for us to feel better about ourselves, right? When someone else messes up, them hypocrites. I told, I've told the story before about the guy in my community who said, that church of yours is full of hypocrites. I said, well, can you think of anywhere else they should be on Sunday? <laughs> right? We, we can't be all as good as you are. <laughs> right? It's part of the story. It's part of God's story. Again, it's not to justify when, when things go, when people behave badly it's, and when people are hurt. That's a tragedy. But God is fully aware that you and I are not going to keep our end of the bargain. <laughs> 
And it doesn't seem to bother God. So Jacob wrestles with God. Jacob the trickster. Jacob the immigrant with only a staff. Jacob the shrewd businessman. Jacob the hard worker. Jacob the lover. He runs out of options. He's lived his whole life by his wits, one step away from disaster, and somehow always landing on his feet. Do you know people like that? Do you know people that doesn't, they always land on their feet? Some poor people, everything always goes wrong. My youngest son always got caught. It might have been better for my older son if he got caught. He never got caught. <laughs> my youngest son always got caught, right? And some people seem to get away with everything, right? They seem to be Teflon. But trust me, it runs out. And I think some of the most unfortunate people I know are people who got away with cutting corners all their lives and didn't find out till it was too late the damage that they've done to themselves and to other people. Jacob's about to face, after all these years, the brother he cheated. What was the last thing this brother said to him? You're a dead man. But Jacob has nowhere else to run or hide. He has to come back home. And so he goes out. He makes a plan. <laughs> he prays. And then he wrestles. We are all our own worst enemies. Eventually, we all run out of people to blame. We all come to the limits of what we can handle. Even the brightest and the strongest eventually wear out. I once had a young man, he was actually was an educated young man, but was convinced he was demon-possessed. Okay? See, I have some interesting things that happen in my job. So, uh, so he said, I want you to cast out the demon from me. I go, all right, well, tell me what the demon is. And he went on to tell me, I, I, I kind of laughed. I'm not, not in the, I didn't mean to make fun of him, but I said, you can't cast out yourself. <laughs> It'd be nice if we could just abracadabra, but that, the problem is not something foreign in you. The problem is You. And that's Jacob's problem, right? And we all must fight the shadow in us. We all have a shadow self. We all have part of us that is less than we should be. We all have the trickster inside us, right? Or the little boy or little girl who was, who was never quite seen. Or whatever your shadow is. We wrestle both with what we are and we also wrestle with what we're not. I never achieved blank. I used to have this, but now it's gone. And that's okay. That's life. There are no shortcuts to authenticity. And you, and you really cannot go very far with God until you've looked honestly at yourself. To know God and to know self are very much entwined. Why are there some religious people that do horrific things? Well, they don't know themselves. 
what they say is God is really their own shadow health, or their own shadow insecurity or hate or prejudice, right? And we're told that Jacob in veiled language, even the writers don't know what to do with this text, right? Because the Hebrew says a man, but the man won't share his name, right? And what does Jacob name the place? Penel, which in Hebrew means I've seen the face of God. Or I've looked, at to, I've looked towards God. So though the Hebrew editors, the Jewish editors of this text, didn't know what to do with it, and you and I don't know what to do with it, what is clear is the intention that Jacob was wrestling with God. Now, to be honest with you, I don't know why it took God all night to take out a 90-year-old guy. Nothing personal to any of you who are 90, all right? But I'm pretty sure God should have won that battle a lot earlier. So it's, it's not about the real fight, right? We wrestle with God, and sometimes we all wrestle, maybe all our lives, but we wrestle with God, and God does whatever it needs to do to keep us in the game. I used to wrestle with my guys. Um, I stopped when it was clear they could probably win, all right? <laughs> but when I'd wrestle with them when they were younger, I, I, would, you know, I wouldn't just take them out. I, you know, we'd go back and forth, right? That was part of the fun of it. I wanted them to learn and test their strength. Well, that's, that's what God does with us. And the reason we have to wrestle with God is, is and I'll, I'll just make this real quick, sometimes we have to wrestle with God because of the disappointments in life. What do you do with the unfulfilled things in your life? What do you do with the things that have gone wrong? Well, you can take them out on other people. You can take them out on yourself. It can become depression or something else. Or you can wrestle it with God. That's what Jesus is doing in the Garden of Gethsemane. He does not want to go through what he's about to go through. But he wrestles with God in prayer. Sometimes wrestling with God is what we have to do when we're suffering. All of us have experienced grief, and the road through grief is really hard. It's a wrestling, right? We've all dealt with our own physical infirmities. That's a wrestling with God. When we suffer, when we watch those we love suffer, that's a wrestling with God. But I ultimately think that wrestling with God is to take us deeper. Jacob needs a name change. Jacob needs to stop running from God. Jacob needs to realize he can't manipulate the world. Jacob needs to realize that what he's been given is not something he can take, but has to receive as a gift. Abraham, Moses, Jeremiah, Hannah, Job, Paul, Jesus... There's all, the Bible's full of people who wrestled and struggled with their faith and with God. Another translation for Pinel is that he turned to God. Ultimately, we're called to come back to God, to stay with God. Finally, Jacob's faith became his own. 
He was forgiven of his original transgression. that had defined his life. And the crooked one walked away whole with God, but with a limp. The crooked heart was gone, but he carried a reminder of his running from God for all of his life. We all have scars, right? Like you don't get through this life without scars. I had a wonderful spiritual guide. He died way too young, Peter Rudiger, of blessed memory. And he one time said this, an ancient spiritual director helped him in a very difficult time in his life. He's feeling some shame and, and regret of what he had done. And she said to him, I never trust a man who doesn't walk with a limp. Going back to the story I told the kids. Now that was my son was just in that, you know, had all that energy of puberty, right? But we don't have to displace the sad things in our life. We don't have to turn them on side ourselves either. Wrestle with God. God can take a punch. And that's where our healing is. That's where our rest and peace is found. I um, never let the kids do temper tantrums, right? Um, because it's just, it's a silly thing, right? You know, they throw themselves on the floor and just hit their head. Yeah, right? It's a wonder our species evolved at all. All right, anyway. <laughs> you know, I mean, you look at a two-year-old and go, our species is doomed. How are we at the top of the food chain, right? I love two-year-olds. They're just, they're just not very bright. Um, and I remember one of my kids was just so angry about something. You know, you get angry, right? You know, we repress it, right? But when you're two, you just, ah, right? And I remember grabbing him up in my arms and just holding him. And I held him tight enough um, so he wouldn't hurt himself. But I held him loose enough that he could kind of do whatever he was doing, right? And I still remember he was, he was angry and there was rage and he was crying and thrashing. And then he surrendered at one point and then nestled in my arms, right? That's what God wants for you and I. Happy fighting with the divine. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. I could invite you now to continue your worship by giving your gifts, your tithes, and your offerings. If you remember to bring it, uh, then we invite you also to drop in your commitment card. If you didn't, that's fine. Just send it to the office.